Uh, well, friends, it's true, isn't it, that stories from the past shape our, our present. Uh, for Australians, uh, perhaps it's the story of the Anzacs at Gallipoli that shapes our present commitment to things like mateship and dogged determination. Uh, for Americans, pro- uh, perhaps it's the story of uh, the first moon landing with Neil Armstrong that shapes their present commitment to dreaming big and reaching for the stars. For the French, perhaps it's the story of the French Revolution that shapes their present commitment to independence and liberty and freedom. But whatever it is, stories from our past shape our present. Now, uh, we're starting a new sermon series today, uh, looking at the book of Exodus. And uh, I'd be very surprised if we didn't know at least some of the um, uh, stories or the highlights uh, in this book. Uh, We've already read about baby Moses being rescued um, from the Nile River in a basket, Uh, the burning bush, the plagues, the Passover, uh, the passing through the Red Sea, the manna and quail from heaven, uh, the Ten Commandments, the golden calf, the tabernacle, uh, so many well-known images uh, in this book, aren't there? But essentially, it's a story of God's astonishing rescue of an undeserving people from slavery to freedom. And uh, it's a story that perhaps more than any other has shaped the people of Israel, not only in the past, but even to this present day. However, I want to suggest that the book of Exodus is not just the story of Israel, but if you and I are God's people through the blood of Jesus, then it is our story as well. For uh, this uh, uh, amazing book tells of our rescue from slavery, uh, a a far more miserable slavery than the people of Israel uh, had, and a rescue to a far greater freedom than the one they experienced. And so uh, my hope and prayer is that as we go through this book for the, for the next uh, eight weeks or so, that God will help us to see afresh uh, our great rescue and sh- shape us in profound ways to live as his people. Now, uh, when we come to the beginning of the book of Exodus, uh, it's a little bit like watching a movie Uh, That's sort of halfway through already. I don't know whether you noticed that. But the book actually begins in the original language with the word and. Uh, It's a word that's not uh, actually translated for us in our uh, English translations of the Bible. But uh, it should be there because Exodus is essentially a continuation of uh, the things we've been reading in the book of Genesis. And so it's important to understand a little bit of the backstory of, of what's been happening. Now, uh, we don't have time this morning to go through the backstory in a lot of detail, but uh, you might remember that at the end of Genesis, uh, the people of Israel, who are descended from a man called Jacob, find themselves in the land of Egypt through uh, a person called Joseph uh, of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. Uh, who rises to be second in command of Egypt. But the big thing that we need to understand in Genesis are actually uh, the promises made by God to his people far before the time of Joseph. Uh, And you might remember that in Genesis 12, 
God makes some extravagant promises to a person called Abraham. So if you have your Bibles there in front of you, turn back with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And uh, just see these uh, promises, these extravagant promises that are made to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, God says to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, God makes three big promises to Abraham there. Can somebody just call out what those three promises are that you see there? Just one by one. doesn't matter if you don't have all three. Land. Yes, God promises that he will give Abraham a land. They will live in their own land. Secondly, uh, Yep, God will make Abraham into a great nation. And finally, great blessing um, that will come uh, not only to Abraham, but to the ends of the earth. Um, and so if you turn again to the book of Exodus, um, come back to, to Exodus chapter 1. Uh, if you turn back there again, you'll see that although the people of Israel are living in Egypt, uh, which is not their own land, well, God is obviously blessing them. God is at work in, in fulfilling his promises to his people because by the time Joseph dies, they have, be, they have grown to become this great nation. You can see it there in uh, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. It says there, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So far, so good. However, I want you to notice that in the first chapter of Exodus, uh, these promises that God has made to Abraham come under threat. Uh, for in verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, you can see that there is now a new king uh, of Egypt in town who doesn't care too much about the person of Joseph. And this king wants to prevent the people of Israel from growing any larger because he, he reasons that if they grow too big, then they will pose a threat to the nation of Egypt itself. And so um, you can see uh, there that um, he takes action in three ways. Firstly, he makes Israel into his slaves. Uh, verse 11, uh, he sets taskmasters over them and gives them the back-breaking job of building uh, various cities for them, for him, rather. And in verse 13, you can see just how bitter and miserable life becomes for the people of Israel. For it says, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. But secondly, he introduces the chilling policy of infanticide. In other words, uh, this king orders the killing of all the baby boys born to the Hebrews, presumably because he doesn't want these baby boys growing up to be men who can fight against 
Egypt. And so you can see there in verse 15 that he orders two Hebrew midwives to kill the baby boys of Israel uh, as they are born. But thirdly, when this doesn't work, well, he simply escalates the policy by saying to all the people of Egypt that if you see a Hebrew baby boy, then you are to throw uh, that baby into the river, into the Nile River, to drown. Uh, it's an incredibly cruel policy, isn't it? But you can see it there in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all the people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. However, despite these threats to God's promises, did you notice that God's people are preserved in a very unexpected way? For they are preserved through the actions of two women, two Hebrew midwives, who do not carry out the orders of the king of Egypt, but rather save the baby boys of Israel. In other words, here are two women who fear God more than they fear uh, this ruler of the greatest superpower, like Egypt, and align themselves with God's purposes of growing his people. Uh, in verse 17 it says, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded him, commanded them. Uh, the striking thing here, I think, is that while many of the characters uh, in these early chapters of, of Exodus uh, appear nameless, uh, people like the king of, of Egypt, um, later on the, the daughter of, of the king, um, even the Hebrews are given very, uh, they're not called the people of Israel for most of, of these chapters, they're just simply called the Hebrews. Uh, you'll, you'll see that in verse 15, that it's rather different for these two midwives. Uh, you can see that their names are Shipra and Puah. In other words, I think we are meant to see that no matter how dark the circumstances, it is those who align themselves with God's purposes who are personally known by God. Now friends, um, it's true, isn't it, that there have been many attempts to destroy God's people down through the ages. Uh, you might have heard of systematic attempts to destroy Christianity uh, and the church in this world, often in unspeakably cruel ways. Uh, it happened in Stalin's Russia. Uh, it happened in Mao's China. Uh, it's starting to happen in the secular West, which sees the church as a dangerous threat to the godless ways of life in this world. Uh, just ask Israel Falau. And so the attempts to destroy the church is relentless even in our day. And I wonder whether sometimes we feel that the promises of God to us, that he will build his church, that he will build his people, are sometimes under threat. Uh, if we're honest, we might even feel afraid as little by little we see the temperature rising against God's people. Uh, we feel this when we read the news. Um, I know that many of you feel this. Uh, each day you step into the office, um, which is uh, quite hostile to uh, Christian belief. Uh, we see it when we see churches uh, declining, uh, even in our city. And we can begin to fear because you know, Christians are thought of as a danger to society 
and something that is to be stamped out. Friends, uh, can you see that uh, in this part of God's word, God will not allow his people to be destroyed and his promises thwarted. But the way that he will continue to grow his people is through people like Shipra and Pua, who are a great example of people who do not fear men as much as they fear God and are determined to align themselves with God's purposes in this world. Uh, How do we align ourselves in this way? Well, we do it by continuing to speak the good news of Jesus, don't we? That is God's uh, method, that is God's way of continuing to build his church. And so we do it as we speak the name of Jesus, as we proclaim the gospel, and as we support the work of the gospel in any way we can. Uh, It might mean teaching a a youth group. It might mean speaking with newcomers about Jesus or sitting down with some of our friends and explaining the gospel to them. It might mean praying for God to strengthen the faith uh, of the persecuted church around the world. It might mean giving generously to the work of the gospel. It might mean taking up leadership uh, in church and uh, more responsibility so that you contribute to the work of the gospel here. It may often mean doing things that are quiet and costly and unnoticed by other people, but which will be personally known by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So are you and I people who are doing this? Are we people who are consciously aligning ourselves with God's purposes in this world? so that God's people will grow. Now, friends, uh, because we know something of the story of Exodus, uh, we know that God will eventually deliver uh, Israel from the threat of the king of Egypt uh, through this person called Moses. But here, I want you to see the astonishing circumstances surrounding his actual birth. Uh, We've already seen the incredible decree of the king of Egypt to throw every baby boy into the river Nile, haven't we? And so Moses is born under the threat of a king who wants him dead. And yet notice that his mother puts him in a waterproof basket and uh, floats him down the, the, the river Nile, desperately hoping that somehow he will survive. It seems that his mother knows that there is something special about him. Because if you have a look at uh, chapter 2, verse 2, she sees that he was a fine child. Uh, You might notice that uh, in the Hebrew reading, um, it it kind of made reference to uh, uh, Moses being beautiful. Now, uh, I don't think that's a comment on his aesthetic beauty. Uh, I mean, all mothers find their newborn babies beautiful, don't they? Uh, Even if they're really not. Um, uh, Every... Mother uh, thinks it's the most beautiful baby ever born. But here the word is literally the word good, which uh, you might know is a word that is uh, constantly repeated in Genesis chapter 1, or the early chapters of Genesis, um, and refers to uh, something that is good for God's purposes in this world. And so uh, it seems that uh, the mother of Moses uh, somehow knows that Moses will fit into God's uh, plans and purposes uh, in a special way. Uh, now, it just so happens that the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to uh, take a bath in the Nile, 
and uh, notices the basket. Uh, I think we often forget at this point that uh, the daughter of Pharaoh uh, is the daughter of uh, the very person who has just ordered the execution of all the babies. And so we are expecting her to drown the baby. And yet, when she hears the baby crying, uh, you'll notice that she miraculously takes pity on him and decides to spare his life. And uh, I love this next bit, for you'll see there that Moses' older sister, who is kind of spying out the situation in the background, um, approaches uh, the, the king's daughter and offers to find someone to look after the baby because, uh, you know, princesses don't usually look after babies, do they? And so and she not only returns the baby to her actual birth mother, but if you notice, she also gets a bit of a baby bonus as well out of it. And so, friends, I hope you can see here that nothing is going to stand in the way of God's plans to bless his people. Now, this is not just good luck that we're seeing here. It is actually God's invisible hand at work directing all things for the good of his people. And in fact, one of the most striking things in this early part of Exodus is uh, God's uh, invisible hand in the background. Uh, I don't know whether you noticed, but God is hardly mentioned in these uh, first uh, two chapters. He doesn't speak. He doesn't act. It appears as though God is absent and invisible and silent uh, during the suffering of his people. But for those who have eyes to see, it is abundantly clear that God is committed to his promises and he's at work uh, in the background, working out his plans and purposes for his people. And so even as Pharaoh plans to destroy his people, uh, sorry, destroy the people of Israel, uh, have a look at uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. We'll have a look at uh, verse 20. Uh, come down with me to verse 20. Uh, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Uh, and I love uh, verse 21 because you notice there that God gives the Hebrew midwives families. Um, it's, a, it's a real irony that even as Pharaoh um, wants to destroy the baby boys of Israel through these two midwives, uh, what's God doing? Well, he's just simply giving them more babies uh, to grow his people. Uh, as a parent, I watch way too many useless documentaries. Uh, I once watched the documentary of uh, the initiation rites of uh, an ancient African tribe. Uh, what they do is they send their young boys... Uh, uh, when it's time to become men, uh, they send their young boys out into the forest at night uh, on their own. Uh, it's pitch black, uh, it's freezing cold, there are dangerous animals and dangers lurking around every corner. And so you can imagine just how frightened these boys would be. And yet, uh, when the sun comes up the next day, apparently the first thing they see uh, when the light hits is the silhouette of their father in the background with a bow and arrow. Uh, you see, it's the father in the background who has been standing there all night uh, guarding the situation for the good of uh, his child. 
Uh, that's sort of what's going on here, isn't it? And friends, I wonder when are the times that you and I feel like God is absent from our lives? Uh, perhaps it's during times of intense grief for some of us. Is that true? Um, C.S. Lewis says after the death of his wife, why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and yet so absent a help in our time of trouble? Now, perhaps you felt like this before in your times of grief. But it might not just be times of grief. It might be as you're facing desperate circumstances in your life. Uh, perhaps you are desperately finding things difficult in your marriage at the moment. Or if your life hasn't turned out the way you had imagined or hoped. Or it might be the weight of a particular sin in your life that you just can't seem to shake off. But whatever it is, I'm sure that we've all experienced the feeling of uh, uh, God's absence in our life. Friends, uh, can you see here that despite appearances... The God of Exodus is the God who is never far from his people. He is the one who is committed to his promises. He is the one whose invisible hand is at work in and through all things, even our sin and our failures, acting for the good of his people. And brothers and sisters, if you belong to him through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you can know that he loves you, that he is present with you through his spirit and that he is working out um, all things for those who love him, for their good, for your good and my good. And that's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, and we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Even in the darkest times, God's promise is that he is near. Well then, uh, we've seen the birth of a saviour in Moses. But in the final part of our passage this morning, we see the portrait of Israel's saviour. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 11, you can see uh, that Moses has now uh, grown up. But notice the kind of saviour that Moses is. Uh, firstly, he is a saviour who defends his people. It's interesting here that Moses begins to side with God's people, even though he has grown up as Egyptian royalty. Uh, for in verse 11, you'll notice that he sees an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew, who he identifies as one of his people. And in verse 11, he strikes the Egyptian, he kills him, and he buries his body. Now, uh, I don't think this is actually um, casting Moses in a, in a bad or unfavorable light here. Uh, I think it's meant to help us to see that as, as God's saviour, he's going to be the agent of God's justice in this world. But secondly, notice that he is a saviour who is rejected by his own people. Uh, you'll notice that in verse 14, uh, when he tries to confront a Hebrew man who is... Uh, wronging another Hebrew man, that he is met with rejection. The one in the wrong says to him, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? 
do you mean to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? But thirdly, he is a saviour who is also a servant. For after being rejected by the Hebrew man, it becomes known to Pharaoh that Moses has killed an Egyptian. And so uh, Moses flees out of fear to the land of Midian, where he ends up at a well. Uh, now, you might know that in the Old Testament, uh, whenever there is a well, uh, there's a wedding on the way. Uh, there is a marriage just waiting to ha- happen. Uh, we've seen it uh, when Isaac's wife, Rebekah, is discovered near a well. And uh, Jacob's wife, Rachel, is also discovered near a well. However, at this particular well, uh, Moses meets seven women, uh, one of whom will become his wife. Uh, They are the daughters of the priest of Midian, who is a shepherd, and so they have come to the well to, to water their father's flock. And yet, as Moses is resting near the well, uh, notice that he sees some shepherds uh, 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 harassing these women. And we are told in verse 17 that Moses stood up and saved the women. Uh, but here's the wonderful thing about Moses. He's not only a saviour, but notice that he is also a servant as well. But did you notice that after he saves the women in verse 17, he also waters their flock for them. Uh, It's a wonderful description uh, of his servant-mindedness, isn't it? And so, friends, God sends this saviour to Israel because despite appearances, uh, God is not going to abandon his people. For this God is the one who sees what happens to his people. He is the God who knows the suffering of his people. He is the one who hears the groans of his people in their need. And he is the one who answers his people, who cry out to him for help. For ultimately, he is a God who is faithful to his promises to bless. Uh, You can see it there in uh, verse 23, chapter 2, verse 23, where God, uh, uh, in the narrative, comes out from behind the background uh, to to the foreground. Verse 23 During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You see, friends, our God is a God who hears the cries of the weak and is mighty to save. Uh, We will see the great salvation of the people of Israel in coming weeks, but even at this early stage of Exodus, uh, we have a glimpse, a little glimpse, that God is the one who uh, hears the cries of the weak and will respond to them by saving them. Uh, When Moses cries out as a baby in the little basket, well, God sends a saviour in the Egyptian princess to save him. When the people of Israel cry out to God uh, out of their miserable slavery, God sends his saviour, the person of Moses, to save them and lead them to freedom. And to us who are weak and who are under the even more miserable slavery of sin 
and the fear of death and the power of the evil one, which makes life so bitter, well, he has sent to us our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that anyone who cries out to him in faith, God promises to save. In Jesus, we have a Saviour who was born in humble circumstances, not in a basket, but in a manger. Here we have a Saviour who is born under the reign of an evil king, not Pharaoh, but Herod, who himself is trying to kill little baby boys. Here is a Saviour who is rejected by his very own people, and yet in Jesus, here is a Saviour who is also a servant, who serves us by going to the cross and dies in our place gives his very own life for your sins and my sins and promises a day when we will be free forever in his kingdom. You see, in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, it was while we were still weak, at just the right time, that Christ died for the ungodly. And to those who trust in his death, he promises a great salvation on the last day. And so, brothers and sisters, will you and I trust this Jesus that God speaks to us about in his word? Even when God and his promises seem distant to us at times, will you cling to this Jesus in faith, knowing that he sees all things, knowing that he knows your suffering, he knows our misery, and whoever calls upon him for help, he promises not only to save on the last day, but to be with us in the present, working out all things for our good. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Uh, we thank you in particular for our Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to serve us in dying on the cross to free us from the miserable slavery of sin and the fear of death and the power of the evil one. Our Father, we thank you that we who have cried out to him in faith are promised not only salvation on the last day, but are promised your presence with us even now through your spirit. Now, Father, we thank you that you are a God who sees all things in our lives and that you know our suffering and our weakness. And we thank you that you care for us and promise that no matter what the circumstance we might have in life, that you will be at work for the good of those who love you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you, especially through times when it's hard to feel your presence. We pray that you would help us to cling even more to the promises of your word, knowing that you are faithful to your people. And, Father, please help us to be a people who keep on aligning ourselves with your plans and purposes for this world, uh, we pray that even as the world is set against your people, even in our day, uh, we might be the ones who fear you more than we fear men and continue to speak the word of truth, trusting that you will build your church through the proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.